Welcome to this special edition of Bark's podcast. In August, September and October, we're featuring a series of Facebook Live sessions where we interview, chat, chuckle and learn from some of our scheduled presenters for Geek Week 2021, the sequel, which is running from November 13 to November 17 to learn more about Geek Week and the 70 presenters and over 130 sessions, visit geekweek.rocks. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is Nikki Tudge with the Pet Professional Guild. I'm here with a great bunch of ladies this morning. Everyone's got their coffee. Carolina's probably sipping a G&T or something because it's the middle of the day for her. <laughs> or, or, I, I don't know why you expect me to have G&T in the middle of the day, really. <laughs> I don't know where you got that impression. I was maybe I've got some inside information. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you just you just don't know, do you? All right. Yeah. Let me let me make some introductions. So it's it's eight oh five here on the east coast, and um, Veronica Sanchez is with us. Who's up in uh, you're in Maryland, aren't you, Veronica? Virginia, Northern Virginia. Virginia. But you're you're on the Eastern Time. Yep. Yeah, lovely. And right. then Dr. Carolina Westland, who is uh, in the middle of the panel there, who is um, over in. Finland. Ah, uh, no, Sweden. Sweden. I don't know. Very close. Very close. Yeah. Let's get those two it's really embarrassing. I always get those two countries confused. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then to the right, we have a delightful little calico kitten. Everybody can ignore Leslie and all focus on the kitten. Please do. Yeah. Is, is this the newest <laughs> member of your family? Yes, it is. Lovely. Better three days. There you oh. go. How cute. I don't know how we're going to be able to continue doing this without the kitten's going to be climbing all over your head. <laughs> so we have the delightful Leslie McDevitt. And then underneath Leslie, we've got Judy Luther. Hello, Judy. Hello. You and I got the dress code again today, didn't we? I know. Well, I just grabbed it from the back of the drawer. I was like, what, what do you put on at seven in the morning? Um, yeah, other than your pajamas, but I didn't think my pajamas right. were very appropriate. You're looking very um, awake and with it this morning. I guess everybody... I'm not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are, um, contrary to the popular belief, we're not here to watch Les's kin. We're actually here to talk about the... the and Veronica's dogs just got in on the frame as well. Has anybody else got any animals they'd like to introduce before we get going? No? <laughs> Everybody good. All right. Um, okay, so we're here to talk about our Geek Week sessions. So um, let's start off with some questions just to get the old grey matter working. Who, who knows, and points mean prizes here, people. Who knows the dates of Geek Week this year? <laughs> Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for 13th to 17th of November. There's a point for Carolina. Point, yep. Points mean prizes, but prizes don't exist. It's just the virtual work world of prizes. Darn. But thank you for your wonderful enthusiasm. Um, if anyone's watching this live, during this um, 30 minute session, at some point I'm going to ask a question. And if anybody in the audience gets it correct, they will get a free ticket to Geek Week. Yes, we like to good deal. Stuff. We like to give stuff away at PPG. Um, all right, so we've got three tracks. We've got academic track, behavior track, and consulting track. So let's start with Carolina, because Carolina, you're doing two general sessions for us. Yeah, I think that we couldn't sort of decide where to place me, so I ended yeah. up doing. Well, you're yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah. we we shoved you into the into the general session academic track. Yeah. So I know I know the topics you're doing. Um, I don't have them on hand actually. I'm hoping you can remember them. Um, 
one of them is about <clears throat> the emotions of behavior, correct? Yep. And this seems to be a really hot topic at the moment. Everybody's sort of trying to move away from being in the sort of uh, the Maya of the quadrants. Um, and we're focusing so much more on the emotional well-being of animals, which is just fantastic. Yeah. So I, I like to think of it as, as sort of wearing different hats. Right. That the behavior analytical hat is extremely useful mm -hmm. also. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so is taking a step back and wearing sort of the... Yeah whatever you call it, ethological or affective neuroscience hat right. also. So, and this last year I've been working on a new course about resolving challenging behavior. And so, uh, and so that's what's been sort of stewing in my mind these last few months. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so the first presentation I'm doing is on, on emotions, the role of emotions in challenging behavior specifically. Right. So I'll be looking at, we'll be talking at some of the different, <clears throat> about some of the different um, <clears throat> um, models of emotion out there. So I'll be discussing the core affect space, mm -hmm. which is uh, essentially where you map emotions two-dimensionally. Mm -hmm. And also Panksepp's work on the seven core emotions, which I also think, I, th I think both of these models <clears throat> sort of complement one another. Right. And also a little bit about uh, polyvagal theory, which is something I've really become interested in this last can you, can year you, can or so. You, can, you, can you spell that? <laughs> polyvagal, P-O-L-Y-V-A-G-A-L. Poly, as in multiple, and vagal, right. as in the vagus nerve. I was really. going to say the nerve, yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and specifically what we know about how strong emotional experience change our our autonomic nervous system mm -hmm. and sort of reboots our entire physiology right. uh, and and has such tremendous effect on behavior and and explains so so yeah. much yeah. Uh, of all the challenging behaviors that we see yeah uh, i'll also talk about something called the ssdr the species specific defense reactions so types of behaviors um you know as an ethologist it's really interesting sometimes to hear these discussions about labeling because people wearing the behavior analytic hat usually don't use labeling it's like no 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 no, don't go there <laughs> yeah. and i'm i'm wearing the ethologist hat and i'm like yeah labeling is a great <laughs> tool <laughs> uh, so uh, that's also something i, I won't be delving into it in any detail right. but yeah i'll be discussing right. that and and um, and sort of predatory imminence concept of mm. how imminently are you going to get killed mm -hmm. and depending on how imminent it is which mm. types which clusters of behavior which labels right. of behavior that you might show in different contexts um the concept of triggers and what happens when we flip out when our rational mind loses it's sort of um, uh, calming function over the emotional mind. What happens <laughs> right. when that flips? Yeah. Um, um, classical conditioning and emotions and anticipation, conflicting motivations and the approach, approach avoidance, conflict and magnetization. Mm -hmm. And also I, I end that session by talking quickly about uh, 
the clusters, behavioral clusters seen in the syndrome of separation related behavior in dogs, which is something I don't work with. I don't work practically hands-on with animals almost at yeah. all. So most of what I'm saying, I'm just throwing things out there to see how it right. bounces off right. you guys. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping yeah. to get some interesting feedback on yeah. that. No, I mean, and I panicked a bit because I thought for, I, I sort of wrote this list of things I wanted to talk about uh, a while back. And then when I started preparing it, I realized, my God, I only have 45 minutes. How am I ever going to fit all of this? But then I realized I have more time. So it's uh, I'm, I'm good, I think. Good. Good, good. It, I think it, I, I love listening to sort of scientists and academics talk because I noticed while you were chatting, Leslie and Judy and, and Veronica were really like li listening to what you're saying. Because I think as, and I'm not so much a practitioner anymore, but as practitioners, we, I think we're always looking at sort of looking for new academic research, aren't we? We're always looking at, well, is there something in that that I can delve further into that I can introduce into my own work? So I'm just going to... Uh, for, for me, it's the opposite a bit. Right. I have to sort of... I have these ideas that I have sort of picked from... Also, I have, like, my mind is a bit of a monkey mind, you know, the sort of fluttering yeah. from one thing to the other. And so yeah. I get these ideas that I sometimes even don't know where they come from. Right, right. <laughs> and so right. it's really good to, to be able to ground them in the... You know, get the fingers into the dirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you understand yeah. my meaning. Right. Uh, no, I mean, see I how well... Well, and I think it's fascinating because I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember about two years ago, Judy and I were on a Facebook live session talking about something. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, Judy, something completely unrelated. And we got onto the topic of canine enrichment. And I made a comment and said, wow, wouldn't it be really cool if all the pet sitters and dog walkers understood about enrichment? So rather than just going in someone's house and doing a 30 minute rote dog walk, they could actually go in there and set up enrichment activities for that dog based on that dog's individual needs. And Judy was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And eight months later, I rolled out a brand new course because just, <laughs> just because of that little three minute comment, Judy was like, you're going to do something with that, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that for me is really, um, so, you know, but it didn't, it, it didn't take you eight months. It was like three weeks later, this course <laughs> is there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it took about four, but yeah, I won't argue with you on that point, but I, and that's, that, that's one of the reasons why I love these sessions because I love watching everybody's minds start to sort of rotate at the idea when they listen and latch on to and, and other people's work. I think that's fabulous. I mean, it's what it's what community and networking is all about, isn't it? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna flip to Leslie. Leslie, was there anything in what Carolina said that sort of got your attention that made you just kind of go, mm, "That sounds really interesting." Pretty much all of it. Um... I'm the person in the dirt, right? I'm the very- I know, I know. I've seen a lot of your stuff. I love it. <laughs> very yeah. dirty. Yeah. And um, I, I'm very interested in learning more about polyvagal theory. I've been hearing about it and um, just just all of it. I'm like so excited to listen yeah. to you. And, yeah. Uh, you know, all that, whatever I can understand about mm -hmm. what you're teaching is going to directly impact my perspective on how I'm putting things together and, and what I can add to it, you know. 
Absolutely. What yeah. are, what's the actual topic you're presenting on, Leslie? Because your your control unleashed has actually had a little bit, not a little bit, you've had a few ripples in Deed Week. Because two of your control unleashed instructors are also presenting with yeah. sort of modifications of what of the sort of st stuff that you've done. Like, isn't Tiffany focused on deaf dogs on control yes. unleashed for deaf dogs? Yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I certify instructors now. So yeah, if I if they have something they have a new take on things or they have a specific um, passion or talent. I like to yeah. push them out there. So um, yeah. Tiffany works a lot with, with deaf dogs. And so, you know, she's, when she did her certification for me, she started applying what she was doing to her, you know, to her yeah. clientele with some interesting, you know, applications. And um, I think Lynn Lynn is talking about uh, the cooperative care using some, some of my patterns yeah. that I've put together. So that's really cool too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited that they're yeah. out there doing that stuff. Is it, is it me or has the landscape of our industry changed significantly in the last couple of years? There just seems to be so much more now. It does. Um, it seems very rich. Yeah. And there seems to be so many more people that are sort of being given platforms and are really helping us advocate for sort of humane, ethical, dog training practices it seems like everywhere you look now I mean and it's great I mean I know some people said sort of, well there's comp too much competition I and mean, I don't personally I don't think there's ever too much competition I think the more selection pet owners get the better for the pet owner and um, the common goal I would hope exactly exactly and I, I'm a bubble in our yeah. bubble, a common goal <laughs> exactly and I'm, I'm such a believer in lifting up other people particularly women I love, I love to see women uplifting other women rather than sort of pulling them down, whether it's for whatever, uh, whatever contingency. So yeah, that's great. That is taking over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's discovering keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a cutie. So um, let's, let's just move on to Veronica because Veronica comes at everything from a slightly different perspective, don't you? You look at everything from sort of service dog perspective and how, so, Talk, talk to us about the presentation you're giving and and where where do you go to get sort of the latest information and academic research to help sort of boost your programs? So I actually go, kind of go everywhere. Um, I'll even pull from places that people don't think about, like uh, working with reactive dogs, right? Yeah. Because, you know, um, because sometimes a technique or a strategy that um, works there it either, or sometimes like you mentioned sometimes it's more like the food for thought like yeah. I remember what sometimes I'm like wait a you know person with mobility might not be able to implement that what would they do if they were in that yeah. situation or what's a way to tweak the yeah. particular strategy yeah. um, so I think one of the things that um, with service dogs is that you're always thinking both ends of the leash, not just, you are thinking of course the dog and how, how this meets the dog's needs, but you're also thinking is how is the person going to do this? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, one of the things that I have a mobility impairment, but one of the things that I find really interesting is actually learning about other disabilities other than my own, mm -hmm. uh, because then I have to, um, it, you know, I really like, I actually really like thinking about like sensory impairments, like somebody who can't see or somebody who can't hear, and then how um, that changes your training and how you're going to implement um, something um, or a mobility impairment, even that's just not mine, um, yeah. because it, um, it really just changes the way you're, you know, working with the dog or even how you can do something um, relatively that seems like it might be simple. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, picking up after the dog house training, you know, we're supposed to clean up right away. How do you, you know, you know, how do you do that if you don't see it? Or how do you yeah. do that if yeah. you have a, you know, a balance problem? Mm -hmm. So things like that, I'm sort of, it makes you, um, I think, and of course now I have Linus is poking around, giving him a pacifier. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, just, you know, things like really basic, um, one of the things like I'm gonna be talking about in my presentation is training the service dog retrieve. And I think one of the things that people, I always like to kind of label it <laughs> the service dog retrieve because it does have some different uh, aspects to it in the sense that it needs to be functional. So it needs to have enough precision to be functional. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that um, I pull from the competition world are, are great for training a service dog retrieve. But then the other aspects of it are also the person with the disability, because um, many times we're thinking, well, if the dog brings the item to your hand, mm -hmm. but what if you can't get your hand quite wrapped around the item? Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, what if the, what if you can't reach? Because because a lot of times, really small things like that, um, and this is getting. In, you know, really, really technical, but in the dirt technical, <laughs> because yeah. um, sometimes we'll inadvertently train the dog that your hand reaching towards the dog means give. And when we're training, we, because the person uh, training doesn't have a disability, they just reach really fast. Yeah. So then the dog is going to drop pretty quickly, which works fine. And you think, well, I've got a great retrieve the hand, but what if the person can't reach at all? Yeah. What if the hand is just going to stay right in front of them? Mm -hmm. um, is the dog actually going to bring it to the person's hand? And what if the per person doesn't grip quickly? So there's also little aspects of that that make um, the service dog retrieve right. a bit different. So uh, that's a really, really interesting to me. And it's not something I don't, th I've never really thought about it before, because that, that indicates that just a behavior like a retrieve actually the topography of that is very different based on every single individual service dog handler in terms of where that retrieve comes to, how it's dropped or how it's presented. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You might have a handler who needs items dropped to their lap. Right. Um, you might have a handler who can't reach very low and the dog needs to move upwards to place to right. their hand. Right. Um, you might have a handler who has uh, who has difficulty letting go of items. Mm -hmm. So actually, the dog needs to be a little patient if the person's handing right. something to them. Yeah. So um, there's all little te little teeny aspects yeah. of that will make it either functional for the handler or not functional for the handler. So it's I was it's um it's funny because it's like people say, well, you don't need precision because it needs to be functional. No, you actually need a lot of precision, yeah. but yeah. you don't need competition obedience precision you need a different kind of precision right yeah so that's interesting isn't it yeah because I mean I've always thought in terms of the service dog relationship you always think about what the dog can do for the handler mm -hmm. and how they're trained but you don't realize that where those two parties meet in terms of functionality it's always going to be very different based on on the individual right exactly yeah Fascinating. So did, did you choose this topic because there's a lot of unknowns about what that precision functionality looks like or because in general it's one of those areas of service dog coaching or training where often the behavior is not as functional as it needs to be? 
So I chose it for two reasons. One is because the retrieve actually ends up being a foundation skill for a lot of different other service dog tasks. Right. And, and pretty much all service dogs will end up doing some kind of retrieve at some point yeah. uh, for yeah. their handler. But the other piece is because I spend a lot of time thinking about retrieves because I run the service dog coaching program and that's one of the projects my students have to do. Yeah. And so I end up analyzing that one behavior a lot. And I watch a lot of trainers right. go through video on it. And so I know where people tend to struggle and then the parts that they um, don't struggle as yeah. much with. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time on it. It's one of those behaviors that I think because lots of us play fetch with our dogs that we think it's going to be really easy mm -hmm. because it just seems an extension of playing fetch. But yeah. then when you start diving into the pieces of it, you discover, oh my goodness, this is actually yeah. taking a lot. It can be yeah. trickier to train than you think it will be. Yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. And your presentations are always so fabulous. So excellent. And all right, does, anyone, does anybody have a question they want to throw out about their presentation for our audience or something? See if we can give away a free ticket. And just, um, I think we're at, mm. that, we're at that point. Okay, so what I'm going to do, um, I'm just going to pretend that I'm talking here while I go and look something up really quickly. So Geek Week is from the 13th to the 17th. And there are over a hundred presentations. So the question is for our audience, for a free ticket, for a free ticket to Geek Week, drum roll, <laughs> what is this? And it's the first person to answer this because more than one may answer. The first person to get this answer correct. And um, the answer is actually on the website. So you have to go search the website. How many actual presenters does the website say are involved in Geek Week? And if you look for a number left under 70, you're wrong. So it's a number above 70. There's a little clue for you. So the first person that answers that correctly will win a free ticket to Geek Week. So there you go. There's our, there, there's our question. And um, I just realized that everybody on here actually is a teacher, has programs or courses that they teach for other people. So question for all of you, because you're probably all super busy either working on new programs or actually um, planning and implementing. How much time do you actually get for your own education? And how do you plan for that? Is it a strategic where you actually say, I'm going to do so much this year, or that is of interest to me? Or do you sort of stumble across things and go, oh, let me spend some time researching that? How does that, how do you, how do you prioritize your own education? Who wants to answer that first? Judy? I I, I don't think I ever stop learning because when I'm researching my program and what I'm going to add to it, I'm educating myself, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm researching more and more. And it's interesting, a lot of the research I'm looking at is research based on children mm -hmm. because a lot of this hasn't been done on dogs yet, right? Yeah. And um, so, but I, I do as much education on for myself as I can because I'm still seeing clients and things are always changing. And I'm going to just put a little tidbit of, in, of information in here. I think Carolina's courses are amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I always fall back you, on you, that. Are you getting and, commission for plugging Carolina's program? No, no, but I, I know, but I always try to like memorize yeah. what I see from her because yeah. it so much relates to what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, maybe not directly, but indirectly. And then yeah. maybe it is directly. I don't know. Cause I talk a lot about the same thing yeah. she talks about. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, but no, I don't get commission yeah. from Carolina. Maybe yeah. I need to. <laughs> you 
<laughs> we haven't discussed that yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Leslie, you're always bringing out new and more innovative ways of sort of working with Control Unleashed. I mean, you've had the book, the first book, the second book, the third book. I don't know how many books you've had out. There's loads of books out there. Go research the books. The books are great. Um, but when do you actually sort of think about yourself in terms of your own selfish learning? When do you get time to do that? Uh one way that I get to do that is by speaking at a lot of conferences and then finding out who else is speaking that I'm interested in learning from. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've had so, so, so many opportunities to learn. On yeah. Lately. yeah. So, um, that's, that's excellent. Or if I hear about a program that I think is interesting and very complimentary or something that I need to know about, I, research it so right, right now i'm looking at the ace free work program mm -hmm. the animal centered education yeah it stands for it's really cool and right. um, i'm looking at that and how it correlates with what i'm doing and i really like that and yeah you know there's there's different things i'm looking yeah. forward to carolina's talk too and she did yeah. not pay me to say that um but you know there's all kinds of stuff like that the other piece is in terms of my education as a teacher because mm -hmm. A lot of my work these days is certifying other people to teach my stuff mm -hmm. and they're they're already working dog trainers they already have some mm -hmm. other kind of certification mm -hmm. is what i want mm -hmm. um and then i'm looking at videos of them teaching their clients mm -hmm. so i need to know um do they have the mechanics right do they have the concepts right how are they relating to each client how are they individualizing yeah. things yeah how are they setting up conditions for each situation? Mm. And then I have to think about how I want to say it to them so that they feel encouraged, even if I have like constructive criticism, yeah. Yeah. you know, just like your client might be sensitive. And so I have to model how I want them to behave with their clients, yeah. them, you know, and so, and, you know, I'm tag teach certified. And so I'm always looking at, mm -hmm. okay, tell them, you know, this three-step three word instruction, you know, tell them to put this thing here. And so I'm looking at also mm -hmm. that type of, yeah. yeah. And uh, so there's like a lot of modeling and a lot of me watching and mm -hmm. thinking about how I want to explain things. Cause I'm such a, like a right brained conceptual big picture type person. Right. Pull myself back and be like, put the thing here. Yeah. And stand like this, you know, so that they can yeah. do it for somebody else. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, teaching people is a, it's a unique skill, especially with dog training, because you're not just transferring knowledge, you're actually teaching them how to execute a physical skill, which, um, which requires an entirely different process of teaching. Yeah. And it's also, and it's more difficult to do that when you're coaching people virtually or by email, isn't it? I mean, I've been going back and forth with a student for the last few days on email, and eventually, and she lives in Europe, and eventually it was like, you know what, let's just get on Zoom. We have to physically see each other and work through this because yeah. it's just not possible sometimes when you're talking, because, and we all know that with dog training mechanics, just minute adjustments can make such a big difference in how a dog responds. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. What, what about you, Carolina? Because you, you're, you're teaching your own programs, but you're teaching at university still as well. Are you still teaching? I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah I am. Mm -hmm. so Several it. universities in, in Sweden. Yeah. I'm a voracious learner. Yeah. I've actually spent the last couple of weeks plowing through last year's Geek Week because um, typically I find it difficult to follow. I, I want to, I think the online medium is fantastic in that you can pause. Mm -hmm. and take notes and reflect yeah. and sort of go look something up and then yeah. go back 
And so I find live lectures stress me out for that reason. So I, I tried following Geek Week a little bit last year, but then I sort of gave up and then I, and now I realize, shit, I only have a couple of weeks. <laughs> and there's so many good presentations. Oh my God. I thought I was going to do that in a couple of days. It's been weeks, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. so many uh, really yeah. great presentations. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah. what I've been doing these last Are you? Uh, let, let me ask a question, and it's sort of a bit off track, but my parents were both, my dad was a professor, my mother was a headmistress, my I came from a family of academic educators, and I can remember at the earliest age, about nine, being in my bedroom with my dad's marking book, walking about talking to people and telling people what they were doing wrong and how they did to do, I mean, I was sort of modelling what I <laughs> believe was a teacher. And, peop and people say, and my brother has a PhD in nuclear physics. He works at, for a company in the UK. And my brother and I grew up resenting the fact that everyone thought we were going to be teachers. No way. I mean, my brother gets quite venomous. He's like, I will not be a teacher. As sort of a rebellion to the upbringing we had. But both of us in our roles now, that's exactly what we're doing. But we're not doing it through the sort of structured academic and, and, I, and for me, and I don't know about you guys, but I get a high on teaching other people something new. I mean, when, I, when I'm learning something myself, all I'm thinking about, which actually interrupts my own learning is, how can I teach this to other people? This is such a cool topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah? And, and, and I learned about 10, 15 years ago that you, that's just obviously part of who we are as people and you can't fight it. You just can't right. fight it. So when I'm watching webinars or reading a book, I'm already trying to teach it. So my husband's like, just read the bloody book. Because I'm like, oh my God, let me tell you about this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and, I, and I find it fascinating that we've, that, is that, so you guys feel like that too. You're sort of learning something and you're already mm -hmm. thinking about how you can help yeah. other people. Yeah, always, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, and, and I, wonder if, I wonder if that's the difference between the people that are really passionate educators and people that sort of do it as a living. And um, that whether that motivation, that real passion is there for helping other people or if it's because I don't know about you guys. But when I was growing up as a woman, there were very few careers that you were expected to go into. And one of them was will be a teacher. It was almost like as a woman, that's where a teacher, a nurse or there was very few that we sort of were encouraged to do. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, and I and obviously we all end up down these rabbit holes, don't we? Because you, you spend 10 minutes looking at something. And before you know it, you've been on Google Scholar for about six hours and you've got all these papers printed out. And you're like, oh, my God, where did I start? Where did this journey even start? So, yeah. And that's what I love about Geek Week. I love um, you can see you can hear it in people's voices. The absolute passion for teaching. All right, Judy, let's jump over to you because we haven't spoken about your yeah. session. So uh, Judy is, okay. um, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I, I don't, I've known Judy for several years, but you've always been at the sort of forefront of beating that drum about how we need to be looking outside the box rather than just looking at the general rote sort of pet dog skill training, haven't you? I mean, you've always, right. said, this is about the emotion, it's about the relationship, it's not about anything mm -hmm. else. It's about, yes, it should be that relationship that we had with our dogs that we never went into a trainer for. Mm -hmm. We never called and needed help to get our dog to come to us. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, it's not about training. It's solely about relationship and how we treat them and how they feel about us. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be talking about attachment theory. And once again, I don't see a lot of, well, I'm starting to see some a little bit of information about animals and attachment theory, but 
it really bases back on what we know about children and we can take that and it definitely relates to the dogs. So I'm going to talk about attachment theory. We see a lot of dogs that we have really insecure attachments with. Wait a minute, I shouldn't say we. Um, their pet parents may have insecure attachments with them. How do we fix that? How do we change it? How do we make that dog's life better and that person's life better? So we're going to talk about that and I hope that when people leave my session, they'll be able to identify what the attachment style is with the animals that they work with. Mm -hmm. Always striving to get the best attachment style, which right. is the secure attachment. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I noticed there's a couple other people talking about attachment as well. So I'm so excited that that is becoming more and more obvious in our industry and people are waking up to emotions and waking right. up to attachments and relationship. Right. It's about time. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a parent and quite honestly, I couldn't tell, I couldn't, I mean, I was asked years ago when children get teeth and I thought they were born with them. I mean, that's how ignorant I am about children. <laughs> I mean, I said, well, don't they come with some? I mean, don't they come with something in the mouth? I mean, how does that work? So I am completely ignorant when it comes to human, human small creatures. Um, <laughs> as my friend calls them, skin kids. <laughs> She, called, she has fur kids and skin kids, which is, yeah. Skin, um, kids. skin kids. Yeah, her skin kids. But I was talking to a family member of mine. I won't say who it is because I don't, obviously don't want to reveal confidentiality. But um, And I mentioned this on another um, call when we were talking about attachment theory because I had no idea that this was such a powerful topic in children. The, this family member of mine adopted a child who had been taken off a mother who was drug, a drug addict. And when they adopted the child, at, I think nine months of age, they were told that there could be significant attachment issues later on in life because of the neurochemistry. And um, my family member went out and did a lot of research on this unbeknown to me. And the last time I saw her, I was talking about separation anxiety in dogs and she blew me away with her knowledge on <laughs> attachment theory and how that works and how it can become such a destabilizing factor. I have no idea. I mean, you guys, most of you are parents, aren't you? Um, I had no idea. Is no. that something that, well, you're not Judy yet, but is that something that, no. is that something that parents look, get in the parenting book or is it something that you only look into if, if there's an issue with, um, it's been a lot of parenting books. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And my sister is a child specialist, so she's a teacher for two-legged kids yeah. and uh oftentimes she'll call me and she'll say boy i was just at, a, at someone's home today she does parents as teachers right now and she will tell me a scenario and i can tell her the identical scenario only with a puppy or with a yeah. dog yeah so yeah yeah right, and she and she's are what they are no matter what the species in the household yeah the mm -hmm. same dynamics are affecting everybody it's so interesting when you look at like yeah. a, a group you know Oh, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you would think that an eight month old baby that was put into a foster home for eight months and then literally at nine or 10 months of age goes to a stable home where it still is 15 years later. It wouldn't really cross your mind that that one separation at that age would have such a significant impact on the behavior. Yeah. I mean, it depends on those first eight months. Also, the quality of, yeah. of the, the mm -hmm. standard of care, the yeah. type of interactions yeah yeah which was extremely positive um okay that was good okay. yeah no i mean it was That's a couple good. it was an older couple who were both doctors who right. um, yeah so it was very and still to this day have kept an interesting yeah. child so yeah really um yeah. yeah but but as a teenager now there's all kinds of issues that are coming into mm. play which you know yeah. mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Which, you know, um, if, if your first experiences are traumatic, mm-hmm. that, that creates a lens for you to view everything else. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect your learning and your perspective. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know. but, but from this, I mean, that just sort of playing this back into, and Judy might know the answer because she said she's done some recent research. So would, is that the equivalent of like taking a puppy away from its mother at two weeks of age? If you, if you had to join it's, in it. I, I don't know if we can say exactly equivalent, yeah. but it's definitely the same experiences, yeah. right? So I've had dogs that were taken away at four weeks of age that I ended up keeping and raising. And I definitely saw mm-hmm. some issues. It, it took a while, but this particular yeah. dog did become very attached to us, but it was tough. It's hard. Yeah. You know, just like Leslie said, you know, the, that basis, it, it really does make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to mention Karen overall a minute because obviously Leslie knows Karen really well. I mean, Karen, Karen overall speaks to the fact that it's sort of a DNA, um, toss up isn't it because some some people some dogs have the roughest of upbringings and are ripped away from parents and have all kinds of trauma but end up being really stable well-adjusted resilient individuals and other dog i mean i had a dog similar to that judy we got it at three four weeks of age because at the time i was an exec director at humane society and that was the age it came into the shelter and she was actually quite okay i mean she has some idiosyncrasies Mm -hmm. but we all do don't we um, right. Yeah, most of us do. Um, and then other dogs that I've seen that were got from really good breeders that are sort of following the puppy culture and, and you know, when they hit nine or ten months of age, you think that they'd had all kinds of trauma in their lives. I mean, Karen does speak to that, doesn't she, Leslie? That. Yeah, I'm always yeah. trying to. I'm always trying to figure that out. You know, yeah. like, the more we breed for resiliency, I think, yeah. the better. I. I- Exactly. And I think the other thing is, where does the dog land? Where does the dog end up? Because I can take a dog and, you know, turn it around in a different way. Maybe somebody else can. I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm not saying that, but somebody might do a better job with that. Right. Right. So I had one dog I adopted at four months of age and she had been in a previous home. It took me eight months to get her to finally be able to be a dog. And she's the best dog. She's reactive. So, you know, I'm hoping my husband will be looking over my shoulder at Leslie's talk (laughs) because (laughs) he's kind of, you know, sometimes there's contributing factors into that. Husbands, yeah. Husbands. Yeah, oh, yeah, husbands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. Would, I would expect that to be like a nature-nurture trade-off that, that yeah. you know, animals come with yeah. a certain genetic disposition yeah. with predispositions to develop in a certain right. way. And then depending on the environment, mm-hmm. it you know, you yeah. have this mm-hmm. variability within the given right. genetical yeah. predispositions. Yeah, yeah. And right. just um, linking that back into your world, Veronica, and I, again, it's not an area that I know a huge amount about, but I do, I had friends that were puppy raisers and they both had like four golden retrievers each because so many of the dogs, like when they go back for that second training at like at 12 months of age, they, at that point, they flunked out on that really sort of critical <laughs> um, training. So I sort of look at that and I, I mean, our service dog breeders, are they doing a better job in general or are they working at the same levels as other breeders in terms of stability and resilience? And I think they're doing better now. Yeah. Um, 
what some of the changes in the industry is that the programs are working together rather than independently and right. for some of the ADI, pro right. the ADI programs. And so yeah. they have um, more information. It, it looks to me like the programs are doing better. One of the things that's happened, however, is that the, the, the minority of people with disabilities actually go to service dog programs. Um, you know, I mean, there's no, it's impossible to get the numbers on this, but I, I would I would guess it's the majority of people are owner training at this point. Right. Um, so they're not getting program dogs; they're getting they're getting everything. So it's actually um, so all of the behavior attachment theory, all that stuff um, is is relevant because yeah. they're, they're working with the same dogs. Yeah. Um, now, of course, that's not what, you know, we want service dog people to have resilient dogs and to, you know, especially for public access. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk about in my program is about, and I've talked about with you actually in, on podcasts yeah. also, at home service dogs, yeah. because more and more people with disabilities are just, going, they, the programs are overwhelmed. Many of them have, mm -hmm. um, you know, wait lists that are four years old for your, I mean, it used to be that I would tell people wait two years. That's about how long it'll take you to train a dog anyway. And that didn't seem like an unreasonable ask because that's how long it takes. But now when we're saying, telling people there's a four year wait, there's a five year wait, the program's not taking anyone. Um, that's no longer a reasonable ask. I think that, um, you know, sometimes we have to say, okay, owner train. Um, yeah. But you are, you, you know, whether or not you get a dog and, you know, people will come with, some people will go to a reputable breeder and, and they might still have a problem or some people right. will go to, uh, you know, rescue shelter, right. whatnot. Right. But I do think the programs are actually doing a better job of it. I think there's more recognition about the need for resilience. And also there's so much more research now, MRIs, I mean, information about what, um, what we're looking for in a, a service dog candidate. Interesting, because the dog trainers, I mean, we all get the calls once a week. I've my, my dog, had my dog five years and I'd now like it to be a service dog trainer, but first can we stop it attacking the next door neighbor's cat? Right. <laughs> I mean, where, where do you go with that? But yeah, I mean, the, the, the expectation is, is, is such a different expectation, isn't it, from who you're talking to about what... what right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because a lot of times people say, well, the majority of service dogs, I'm like, I'm not sure that that's true uh, yeah. anymore yeah. you know it's also yeah. impossible to get numbers on these kinds of things how many people yeah. are how do you how do you find that how many people are owner training yeah. but I, I think it's the majority at this point um so you know that ppg is starting a, a new committee next week for service dogs and emotional support animals did you know oh, wonderful wonderful yeah. i think i saw a mention of that wonderful yeah mm -hmm. one of our members who has been working in the industry for like 20 years asked us mm -hmm. if we could put a committee together to start working on and supporting organizations that want to take a more sort of humane approach to how they train dogs so right. yeah right yeah absolutely. wonderful yeah okay all right, well, I've kept you ladies for more than the 30 minutes that I promised I would keep you for. Everyone's looking really relaxed. I hope nobody had breakfast meetings they were supposed to be at because I've kept you late. That was a very kidding kitten meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've all participated in to some degree. <laughs> so, so let me ask everybody, who, who, whom of you will be attending the virtual Geek Week cocktail party on the 13th? The fancy dress geek so. cocktail party. Well, oh, I, fancy I dress, said, yes. maybe not. You don't have to, but we're doing it on Zoom and it'll be spread across different breakout rooms with different presenters and different e exhibitors. And we'll be right. giving out some substantially good fun prizes for those that turn up looking like a geek. 
Excellent. That's possible. Yeah. So <laughs> I, will, I will aim to be there. It's all good fun. Yeah. <laughs> and if anybody wants to participate, we're doing a seven day warm up for Geek Week this year, which will kick off the um, the week. So for seven days prior to Geek Week at nine o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock in the evening, there'll be a 30 minute Facebook live session with some of our exhibitors and presenters who are raffling free prizes. So if anybody's donating a free prize to Geek Week, you can also get involved in that to help promote your programs or your education or yourself or your cat or your whatever, <laughs> whatever you would like to promote. So, yeah. So anyway, before we go, just a, a huge thank you. So Veronica Sanchez from The Service Dog Coach, um, Dr. Carolina Wesson, Leslie McDevitt, Troll Unleashed, and Judy Luther. Does anyone have any wonderful parting wise words they would like to um, greet our audience with? No? No. See no. on Geek Week. No, no wise words. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining me. If anybody wants to learn more about any of the presenters' programs or courses or books, their bios are on the PPG website and there's links so that you can do that. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having coffee with me this morning. Thank you. Really and I'll see you guys at Geek Week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What sets PPG apart? We are the only membership organization for professionals who subscribe to the view that aversive methods should not be used or even deemed necessary as part of a strategic training or behavior modification program. As an organization, we stand up for what we and our membership believes in. We promote ongoing advocacy initiatives and back up our positions with the latest scientific research and peer-reviewed studies. As a member of PPG, you have access to more than 30 membership benefits. So what's stopping you? Visit www.petprofessionalguild.com and explore the PPG membership.